0: Welcome to episode 112 of Breakout Culture. I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm the Associate Editor at Country and Town House.
1: And I'm Ed Vasey, I'm the culture editor at Country and Town House. Today we're going to be talking about collecting beautiful things. We have three guests. First of all, the 9th London Craft Week is coming up, starts on the 8th of May. It's bigger and better than ever. So our first guest is the founder, Guy Salter. Good morning, Guy.
2: Hey Ed. Good to
0: be on the podcast again. Well, it's great to have you with us. And we're also going to be talking about the celebrated Couturier, an interior designer. Tomasz Starzeski, who's now collaborated with the specialist ceramics and craft auctioneers Mac to create an installation of exquisite pieces from the collection of the late Victoria Lady de Rothschild. The installation will be open until September at Ascot House in Buckinghamshire, the home Lady de Rothschild shared for over a decade with her husband, Sir Evelyn, and Tomasz is going to be telling us all about it. Good morning, Tomasz. Good morning. Uh,
3: Thank you for inviting
0: me.
1: And last but not least, talking of beautiful collections, our third guest this morning is Nazi Vaseg, who's had 30 years in the art business. She's been at Sotheby's, she's run Masterpiece, and now she heads up her art advisory company, Business of Art. She's here today to talk about her boutique art platform, Eye of the Collector, because the third edition of its fair is running between the 17th and 20th of May at Two Temple Place in London. We're looking forward to hearing what we can see there. Good morning, Nazi.
4: Good morning, Ed. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Isn't everyone so polite,
4: Charlotte? <laughs> I know. And we've reunited
1: <laughs> them as well because they each haven't seen each other for about 20 years.
0: That's
4: right. I haven't
0: seen Tomas for mm-hmm. longer. We're not going to say how long are we talking. No, we were children <laughs> when we saw each other. Now, let's start with you, Guy, because it doesn't seem a year ago that you were on this podcast telling us about London Craft Week in 2022. And I remember you saying then how you were really noticing a growing appetite for collecting. And I'm sure our listeners will be eager to hear what's on offer this year. I know, for example, you have some really exciting events exploring craft behind the coronation and the Times had dubbed it the most luxurious craft fair in the world, with its huge and varied programme all over the capital. So can you start by giving us, if you can, I know it's difficult, an overview of the week and why you think there's such a rising fascination with and demand for high-quality, one-of-a-kind product?
2: It is actually quite difficult because it has become so big now that um, it's hard to sort of encapsulate it just in a few sentences. But And, of course, this year as well, we had the added excitement of the coronation and wanted to do justice to this ecosystem of craftspeople and artists who are patronised by the king and and by the monarchy. But at the same time, we also had uh, our international pavilions. You may remember from last year, that was an experiment, uh, and so the number has doubled this year. Uh, But at the same time, as you say, to do justice to contemporary craft and to that desire to collect that, um, I don't know if the rest of you have noticed this, but I even over the last year I've seen I've seen that really explode. So essentially, it's the same old thing. You could do everything from heritage craft to to some of the most amazing Lueve Foundation craft prize winners at the at the South Korea international pavilion.
4: And tell us about your fair, Nazi. Of course, so um, Eye of the Collector is an alternative art fair platform or fair. It's um, the artworks are presented as if in an imaginary collector's home. Um, We place established artists alongside emerging artists and overlooked artists and really the artworks and the design works take centre stage. So we have no branding, it really is like walking into this sumptuous home of someone. Two Temple Place used to be the uh, private estate office and apartment of William Wardolf Astor. And um, he uh, took, asked John Loughborough Pearson The architect to build a building of um, sumptuous proportions and design irrespective of cost and and that is what Loughborough Pearson really did he used the foremost craftsmen and artisans of the day so it really is an incredible sculptural architectural gem in central London how many things are going to be for sale there we're, we're just finalising the curation, and um, I think we'll have about 160 works this time, um, ranging from painting, furniture, photography, through to furniture and design.
1: And Thomas, tell us about your uh, amazing auction. I gather from a very young age, you were dressing royalty and stars.
3: So, a guy you've always known me as a fashion designer. And uh, I mean, there's not many of us who are given additional careers and sort of 13, 14 years ago, by default, I fell into um, designing a, 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 a house for somebody in the country. And from that point, things have snowballed. And through my fashion, I have always looked after collectors and or dealers, funny enough, wives, which is an interesting one. And Vicky, who was, who said has been one of my oldest, has known me, she knew me since my 20s. I watched her put together her, this, this staggering collection of craft, you know, she was married to Evelyn for nearly 30 years, but, and Evelyn inherited Ascot in 1980 when his mother passed away. And over a 20 year period, Victoria brought in a combination of staggering talent, to with you know when you when one looks at the names when you think of it, it's Mondagino you think it, it, it's Peter Marino Arabella Boyd Lennox to transform the grounds um, and then Robert Kime to arrange the Chinese collection which is what Asket is very famous for for its ceramics collection and to do this seamlessly is quite a feat when you think that. designers we all have huge egos Uh, and (laughs) sure sure enough and it looks as if one person has done this and the underlying thread is already her obsession and making these extraordinary interior designers and art work with the simplest, most humblest of materials to produce the most extraordinary finishes. When Victoria sadly passed away, the children said to me, You're the only, you're the person who's known this collection better than any of us. Could you go through it? Could you sort it out? Could you put it in some sense of order? And, you know, I came across containers that had never been opened since the purchase from the gallery. Things that I had never known that she'd actually bought, uh, and so this we we started. Sort of, it took us it took us about seven months to go through this staggering collection of applied art, predominantly all craft. And this is what I call. We opened with. Uh, two years ago with her aesthetic on the chair and Japanese basketware. And we're now ending two years later with this precious collection of objects in the most humble materials.
1: Now let's turn quickly back to Guy, uh, because I'm a sucker for royalty. And um, you mentioned uh, that you were going to focus on the coronation, and I just want to tease out all the royal stuff. You've got the Royal Mint's hand engraver doing a demonstration. That'll be a fascinating uh, moment. And you've also obviously got uh, a lot of the Royal Warrant holders like Floris Lock & Co, John Lob exhibiting. And also you've got an exhibition celebrating the Prince's Foundation at Highgrove. Uh including sketches by the king.
2: Yes, never never seen before sketches by the king. Uh, so yeah, I think what we wanted to do, I mean, this is not a, a, a big part of the programme volume wise, but it's obviously an important and very topical one. And we wanted to do, if you like, the things that were uh, perhaps more obvious, such as the, the royal warrant holders, but also include in that people who are maybe slightly less well known, like Rachel Trevor Morgan, who was the milliner to her late Majesty the Queen. Um, And then combine that with all the incredible work that the king has done while he was Prince of Wales, a lot of it behind the scenes, um, obviously some of the slightly better known stuff in terms of the School of Traditional Arts. Uh, the modern artisan and and the the new stone school of furniture now based down at, at Highgrove, but also you know the work he did with Turquoise Mountain, which uh, was was founded in Afghanistan to try and revive the historical crafts there, um, and uh, they're doing a, a a wonderful event at, at Leighton House. So I hope that what we're doing is giving a little snapshot of. All the extraordinary patronage that has continued, you know, hundreds of years later with with our royal family.
1: You're also focusing on Acton and Park Royal. I never thought I would see creative Acton and Park Royal in the same sentence, but apparently they're part of a creative enterprise zone.
2: They are uh, the, the the one of the mayor's um, creative enterprise zones, and 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 a very special one, and so. This is the first time we've actually worked with them, and they're doing some amazing projects, including working with London, Raw London Clay called Park Royal Clay, a, a, a show called Future Craft. So, hopefully, it's the beginning of a, of a good relationship. But more, more importantly, I think, for us is to represent the whole of London, you know, not just the central bits. So, extending out to Park Royal and De Beauvoir and all those sorts of things is is, is a very exciting thing. And underlying it is the desire, and I think this is relevant to collecting as well, to sort of try and highlight what I call the unsung creative heroes. That sort of iceberg of amazing talent, often working under our noses in our own communities, who, who we don't even know are there. And that is as true for London as it is for Scotland or Wales, but also for Korea, China, wherever. So that's why i'm particularly excited about park royal
0: well Nazi, that's that's very like what you're doing isn't it because your aim at two temple place with either collector is to shine light on emerging and overlooked talent
4: and you've 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 got 16 new works this year haven't you that have, yes we have um, we've got 16 new works being specially created for us for this year's edition so it's a a completely new direction if you like for we are a cross collecting fair so it's unusual to have so many contemporary artists but we've it's it's really heartening to see that the galleries and the artists are seeing may in london as a moment to unveil new works and to to use our platform.
0: I just wonder how all three of you I- explain this absolute explosion in, in this passion for collecting. I mean, you, you were talking about it last year, Guy.
2: I, I have to say, I'm actually not surprised because if, if you think about it, we've been on a sort of 30 to 40 year journey, which has ultimately led to what we're beginning to see now, which is is people getting more and more knowledgeable and frankly, a bit fed up with seeing the same old brands and the same old shopping streets wherever they go in the world. And so actually being able to buy from someone who, who the, the, their, their talent and the, their quality is just as good or better than some of the better known brands, or, or indeed to, to, to commission a completely uni- unique uh, work of art from, from, from an artist. I mean, it, it was bound to go there sooner or later. I, I think we're only actually at the beginning of this. And, and actually, I tell you um, something that I don't think anyone knows about. So here we are.
1: Exclusive. For
2: you. An exclusive.
0: Um, <laughs> a scoop. Hooray. <laughs>
2: there's a lot that happens sort of with private events during London Craft Week. Um, uh, so sort of behind the scenes that come together quietly and don't go into the programme. And, and one of them is actually an event for collectors, which, believe it or not, is on a train um, so we've, we've, we've got this event with the British Pullman, you know, Belmont, where basically we're taking a group of collectors on a sort of train ride around the, uh, the English countryside, and each carriage will have a different maker or different artists working away. So I- in a way, it's just a bit of fun, but it's quite symbolic of the fact that there, there just are so many people who want to learn more and are interested in that kind of thing. I think that what what what, is also happening, and, and I
3: think Mac is, the, is that first platform that's going to be testing the market, where craft is going to be ultimately divided in two areas, and that is craft as art, and does craft as art have a secondary market? The art world has always had a very complex relationship with craft, uh, and, you know, if you look at sort of the big names in the art world. So Picasso or Cocteau sort of did did ceramics. It it wasn't their first uh, artistic uh, talent. They had other talents and the the craft was an add-on. We are living in a time where if you're a ceramicist, that is your first um, gift. If you are a glass blower, if you are a, a woodcarver, and it's, it is going to be fascinating to see whether that platform has really got an audience. Because you could say I'm part of craft because I, we're, we're one of the last companies in London that actually physically makes clothes. We have an atelier in
2: central London, and I think there's only three of us left. I feel very passionate About this, which won't surprise you because it's actually why I set up London Craft Week. I mean, let's start with the word craft, which continues to be problematic. I mean, it's wonderful that we're having this conversation. It's wonderful that, you know, London Craft Week is in its ninth year and everything. But actually, it is a struggle and continues to be a struggle, especially uh, in this country. We wouldn't be having this conversation in Japan, I don't believe, because most of it will be taken for granted. But I suppose what I feel quite strongly is actually we should be celebrating craft in all its different manifestations you know including Thomas's work in his atelier and some of these quite remarkable artist makers um, you know from from korea or or wherever because it is that piece it is it is the making part that I think has been seen as the poor relation now of course that is changing. And in terms of Thomas's very interesting um, question about the secondary market, what I think is fascinating here is firstly, I think it's absolutely clear. You can see it from, from the prices on Mac over the years. You, you can see it from the fact that Sotheby's Christie's, uh, Bonhams, et cetera, now all doing uh, craft auctions, that prices are rising and there is already a secondary market. I mean, I have to say that if you're if you're a new collector, go for this space quickly because, you know, <laughs> do it while you can but at the same time in terms of secondary market how fascinating that we've got a strong secondary market in luxury watches in luxury handbags in all this kind of thing that is mass production a hermes handbag is a,
3: is a mass production product
2: the key thing here well at least for me personally the key thing here is people being able to understand the difference and, and learning about the difference, and that's what London Craft Week is for. But I think if if, if one reflects that ultimately, you know, where, where people spend their money is a very interesting development, the fact that there is this secondary market and these growing secondary markets says something.
3: I designed the exhibition that I did at Christie's for the sale of Victoria's baskets and chairs, and when we talked about Japan, so Japan has twenty five national tre- they're called national treasures
2: living and, national treasures yeah mm-hmm.
3: and eight of our basket makers were those national treasures that, that um, we exhibited
2: can I just say on on living national treasures i I so a- a agree with this and and I think we need we need something similar over here
1: this is a brilliant idea I love this i love a good I love a good policy discussion, but Nazi wants to come in. <laughs>
4: No, I, I was just uh, going back to the secondary market um, point. And, you know, I started my life in the ceramics department at Sotheby's. And I've seen that uh, sector. Uh, changing and evolving throughout the years. And I think that through education and through this definition of artist makers, that that, that market is growing. And I think, Guy, you're right, there is a growing um, interest in that market. And I think that it presents really, really great opportunities. You can pick up some fantastic craft pieces, ceramic pieces, decorative arts, in those secondary markets right now and I think people are becoming more and more aware of them because um, they have access to them online.
1: I think that's a great point this is exactly what our listeners want a, a good tip on what to start leaning into I mean we had a wonderful discussion on the podcast a few weeks ago with the London Print Fair and again it was a real insight into a whole marketplace where people have been collecting quietly for many years and it's starting to really gain traction I think it's probably the same for craft and ceramics.
0: But I think what's really interesting about, about uh, ceramics, especially, and is the sort of thing Nazi and Thomas that you're you're doing, putting very very beautiful things and placing them in grand and marvellous, gorgeous homes. And we, do you remember Ed? We had Adrian Sassoon on talking about that installation he was doing in that beautiful Elizabethan house. When you place things in a beautiful room, people can really see the the
4: value of them. the, the key is that it's about collecting. And it's about opening your eyes to new collecting categories that perhaps you wouldn't have considered. So, you know, we will place um, uh, an object, it can be a piece of Japanese ceramics or European ceramics, alongside a mid-century design piece, alongside a contemporary painting, etc, etc. And the idea is to open up your eyes as a visitor to go in and to discover something that perhaps you hadn't intended on discovering. And it's about contextualising it so that you can imagine living with it. That doesn't mean you're dumbing it down.
1: And of course, since we're we're getting political, of course, the government has hobbled uh, crafts by getting rid of tax-free shopping.
3: Yes. (laughs) Scandalous. The toy collection logically should have gone to Paris. Because um, as an aesthetic, her, her collection was more suitable to, to sell in auction in France or, or in the States. But because of Brexit, we couldn't do it. And so our we were very aware that when we did our big sale with Christie's, most of our buyers were either American, Asian or UK. And that was complicated because we, we literally... Had a door shut on us, and as a retailer, I, unless my clients instruct me to ship, there is no benefit for them to come shopping to London because they can't claim their VAT, and it is crippling for central London. It's ridiculous,
2: um, but but just just moving on and, and being slightly more positive about London in all of this, um, I, I I feel that. You know, th- this year's festival, London Craft Week, does, does really show how we do still manage to attract all sorts of talent from around the world. And, and that is still a remarkable thing. When you, when you think we've got makers from Iran, Taiwan, Korea, Qatar, you know, all of China, all, all willing to, 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 to come together, to meet each other, to, to you know, it's a sort of people to people thing that we still manage to do very well.
0: Mm. And we are one of only four global cities still. Just well, what about. are the other
2: three? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tokyo, Paris, and New York.
3: How interesting! I, I don't dispute what Guy is saying as is as a as a platform. London is an amazing platform to exchange ideas for people to meet. But as an actual marketplace, uh, uh it it isn't the same. It, it, we we have lost our footing and. Um, and I think it, it, it's quite serious. Look at the tragedy that we've lost, that Masterpiece have cancelled.
4: I think that, you know, Masterpiece was uh, a great example of uh, cross collecting and it perfectly fused all the elements that we've been talking about between art, design, craft, um, and antiques. Um, and it was at the height of the London summer season. I do think that we live in a different world that, to one that we lived in a few years ago. And I think that we do, things are challenging for all of us, but I think that we have to evolve and we have to stay positive and we have to support London as a cultural and commercial hub because let's face it, if we don't do it, who's going to do it?
3: The Brits are not really known for being contemporary collectors. It's quite, you know, we don't, England doesn't have a history. Yeah, if you look at it, if it wasn't for Courtauld, there wouldn't be a modern master
2: collection at the date. But Thomas, don't you think that's changing?
3: If we acknowledge and accept that we are expanding the collectors here, that's fantastic. And I think it's very important. I work with a lot of artisans in the UK who do extraordinary things for my interior projects. I can't. I don't actually work as much in Paris as I used to because it's so complicated to bring it back to bring it in um, so what it's done it's forced me to look at what brilliant talent have we got here and my god we've got brilliant talent I think we've got very exciting gifted artisans in the
2: UK and a lot of them are young I totally agree with that um, and, and, and one of the most exciting things for me personally I'm on my hit list but of traffic this year is is the show called Mater, called Material Beings, um, which is at Cromwell Place because that is an artist led exhibition.
4: Going back to Thomas's question, the d- the domestic market, if you like, is growing as people are starting to collect more contemporary pieces. And in fact, modern and contemporary is the strongest category at Eye of the Collector. But also, we still have that international base who live in London, who have children who go to school in the UK, and who come to the fair and are established collectors as well. So I don't think they've deserted London quite yet. But I do agree with with you, the red tape and the shipping aspect is an absolute nightmare.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Look, I think London is still such a sexy, exciting city. I mean, you know, everybody has been bashed about over the last few years. I think something new is going to be emerging again. I think that we're going to see an emergence of bricks and mortar again.
2: Building on that point about bricks and mortar, I mean, that's what we saw, Charlotte, last year. You know, this time last year, uh, it was before London Craft Week had started and we were just blown away by our visitor numbers and just that sheer hunger for people to uh, meet each other, to go out with loved ones, have a fun time, see and meet real people doing real things. And and that's why this year, you know, we've got over seven hundred artists and, and and makers taking part, over four hundred events. I mean, that is all. A, it's a bottom up movement.
0: Well, thank you all so much for coming on. It's what an exciting conversation. And you know, let's just keep keep London flying high. And um, thank you for in, encouraging all our listeners to to get their skates on and. Everybody get down to Craft Week, Eye of the Collector, and Ascot House, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Thank you very much.
1: Next week, we're going to be talking to the award-winning English actress Ruth Wilson. She's known for her roles as Marissa in His Dark Materials and Alice Morgan in Luther. And she's won a Golden Globe for her role as Alison Lockhart in The Affair and three Olivia Awards, two for the best actress playing Hedda Gabler and Anna Christie, and one for the best supporting actress as Stella Kowalski in Streetcar Named Desire. Now she's taken to the stage at the Young Vic for an epic 24-hour performance of the second woman. Hard to believe that someone can be on stage for 24 hours straight, and she'll be with us next week to tell us how she's going to manage it and what drew her to such a marathon.
0: As usual, you can find us at countryandtownhouse.com where you'll also find the latest edition of the magazine as well as be able to listen to our sister podcast, House Guest with Carol Annette, talking to some of the most fascinating and influential names in interior design. We love your feedback and we'd also like to hear if there's anything you'd like to hear us profiling or changing. So please send me a comment or email us on charlotte at countryandtownhouse.co Thank you very much indeed for listening and see you next week. Goodbye.